Well, good morning and welcome to Wheaton Bible Church's traditional service. Well, God's steadfast love for you endures forever. Through Christ, we can say that this morning, and I just want to encourage you that regardless of your circumstances, his steadfast love is something we can trust and it is so stable for us through Jesus Christ. Let's open with this call to worship from Psalm 118. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever.
Good morning. My name is Dean Annan, and I am currently serving as one of the elders of Wheaton Bible Church. This morning I'll be reading from Romans 8, verses 1 through 4 and 12 through 17. You can follow along on the screen below. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory.
what an amazing gift we just sang about, forever adapted into God's family through Christ's life and death and resurrection. We'll probably spend the rest of our lives and eternity considering the depth of that gift. We are citizens of God's kingdom forever. And we're mindful as we celebrated our country's birthday yesterday that we are dual citizens. We're citizens of God's kingdom and he's also for this time, has us as citizens of different nations on this earth. And we're so thankful for the freedoms that we enjoy in this country. And even as I drove to church this morning, thinking about how we're free to gather without fear. And that is a gift that we thank God for. And we continue to pray for that to be preserved. We're thankful for those who serve our country in so many different ways and serve our local and state governments. We thank you for that. We're also aware that our country is not perfect. We're still praying, God, your will be done. Your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. And he sent us to be his representatives here. At this time in our service, we're going to sing a song that asks God to continue to lead us as his people and to lead our country. We're going to join some of our Wheaton Bible Church staff and elders in praying for our country. And then we're going to sing another song that asks God to humble us as we seek for him to bless our land. So let's continue in singing. Heavenly Father, thank you for the country that you've allowed us to worship in. Thank you for that freedom to worship you openly. 
that freedom to share our faith with others. Thank you, Lord, that you've protected our country, that you've kept our country free. Thank you for our military and our military leaders that have served and sacrificed to enable that freedom. And Father, I pray for all of our leaders in government. In your sovereignty, you've selected them, Lord. You've allowed them to be in the positions that they are. And Father, we trust your sovereignty and we pray for healing in our country. We pray for wise decisions from our leaders, Lord, that you would guide them to your truth, that you would guide them to godly decisions, to heal and restore our country, to right the wrongs, to correct the injustices, Lord, to provide reconciliation and healing, Lord. We thank you for this country and we pray that you would guide us more and more into your presence as a country, Lord. Thank you, in Jesus' name. Father, thank you for the gift of family. Families of all different shapes and sizes. Lord, I ask that you strengthen our families, strengthen our marriages, give us peace in our homes, and help us to put you first in all things. Whether we're single parents or married couples, Help us to be salt and light to the people around us. Give us the strength to stand up for what is right, to model godly households, and to bring you glory. Lord, I ask that you bless each of our families and bless families across our country. Lord, we need you. And I ask all of these things in the precious and holy name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Father, I pray for the next generation. I pray that our young people may love your Son, Jesus, more and more. I pray that Christ may become the center of their lives and that as they live united with Christ, they can be transformed into your holy people. Lord, I pray that their identity may be firmly rooted in you, Jesus, so that no matter what the world says about them, they may know who they are in you and what they have in you. Lord, I know there's an enemy that is seeking to kill and destroy, and they are the target. So I pray against attacks that come from all places. Lord, that our young people may not believe the lies that come from themselves, from the world, or from any spiritual attack. Lord, that they may know that you are so good and that you love them more than they could ever imagine. Finally, Father, I pray that they may be used by you to love the outsider, rescue the oppressed, and set free the captive. Lord, that our young people may bring your good news to their friends, and that there's something in them that's so attractive and irresistible that their friends can't help but come towards you. Lord, we put our young people in your hands, and in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Father, we come to you in the midst of an incredibly uncertain time. And because it's uncertain, we want to pray that we will go to the most certain thing in this world, and that is your gospel. Help us to be a church that is full of gospel truth and people, disciples that are willing to take that gospel wherever we go. Help us to be a witness during this time so that your church may grow and so that you may be glorified. I pray that in this time, you would bring about a revival, a revival in us as followers of you, a revival that will stir up hearts to want 
to be with you and to serve you with their whole heart. In the midst of all of this, Lord, I pray that you would bring about a unified spirit in all of us. Help us to be a unified church that, that shows what, what the beauty and the love of unity looks like to a world that is needing this so desperately. And help us, Lord, to be examples of your son. May we reflect Christ wherever we go. And I ask, Lord, that you would send us out from this place to look like our risen Savior to the people around us, to our neighbors, to our friends, and to strangers. May you be glorified. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. Well, good morning again, church family, and welcome to worship today. My name is Kyle Reschke, and I serve as our pastor of Sending and Outreach. Now, if you're new to worshiping with us today or just starting to get to know us, an extra warm welcome to you. Uh, we would love to get to know you a little bit better. Uh, we have a simple next step for you to start that process, and it starts with a text. You can text GIFT to 630-260-1600, and we would love to send a gift your way to thank you for joining us. That isn't all, though. As part of this process, we invite you to partner with us as we continue to serve alongside some incredible uh, local ministries throughout our communities. So along with your gift, we'll send a one-time gift to a nonprofit in the area. Just send that text and we'll work with you on where you would like for us to send that donation. Now today, Pastor Hannibal will be teaching about parenting. Here at Wheaton Bible Church, we are passionate about the next generation, 
all that God has in store for our students and kids. And through our Student Life Ministries, we desire to partner deeply with parents to be raising up and discipling the next generations. Now, in recent months, while we haven't been able to have our kids meet on campus, our kids and students teams uh, have been creating weekly teaching videos, providing resources. This has just been so fun to follow along and and see uh, the creative ways our incredible uh, team here have been seeking to engage uh, with our students and families and meeting regularly uh, as uh, our, our current restrictions allow. Now, these students regularly engage with hundreds, or these ministries regularly engage with hundreds of kids to share the good news of Jesus and to equip parents, caregivers, families to have the confidence to be the primary shepherds in their homes. And so this morning, I want to thank you, church. I want to thank you for your continued generosity that provides for this amazing team, opportunities to serve and incredible facilities for our kids and students. Through this, God is certainly at work in building the next generation. I'm so excited for the years ahead and all God will do. So if you're able this morning, would you take a moment right now to prayerfully consider giving or setting up a recurring gift to support ministry through Wheaton Bible Church? You can easily do this by texting Wheaton Bible to 77977, visiting our website at wheatonbible.org give, or simply by mailing a check to the church office. Again, church, thank you. Thank you for being a partner in ministry here, and to God be the glory. Now I want to ask Pastor Hannibal uh, to pray for the offering we're about to receive. Thank you, Kyle. Let us pray. Lord, we want to thank you more than ever because we are a country of freedom. As we have already mentioned and and we have already prayed, we are so thankful that you've given us the blessing to be a free country in so many different ways. At the same time, Lord, uh, we know that There's still much to do and much to change in this country. Therefore, Lord, we we don't want to just pray for the church. and We don't want to just pray for our needs as a congregation and as a church, but we want to pray for our country and for this world. Lord, I feel that more than ever, the church needs to be uh, the hope of the world. Lord, I pray, Lord, that we may fulfill our call. I pray, Lord, that you use your church for the glory of your name and the joy of your people and the salvation of the lost. I pray, Lord, that you use everything we are, everything we have, and everything we give for that purpose. Lord, we also know that these are seasons in which members of our church, different churches are struggling in so many different ways, Lord financially or in terms of health or broken relationships. Lord, we pray that in in the midst of everything that is uh, happening, you show up and you bring healing, that you provide for the one in need, that you transform the one that is broken, that you bring healing to the ones that are um, uh, hurting, Lord. 
And now, Lord, we know that, that one of the ways in which you actually accomplish that is through the preaching of your word. Therefore, Lord, I pray that by the power and the ministry of the Holy Spirit, you speak to us this morning. Give us eyes to see, a mind to understand, ears to hear what you have to say to us this morning. And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus and the church says, amen. Well, first of all, uh, good morning, familia. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Hannibal Rodriguez, one of the teaching pastors here at church, and I wanted to welcome all of you. If you are now part of our church and you're tuning in for the first time, I want to welcome you. I want you to know that we are a church that want to love you and serve you and do anything we can uh, for you whenever we can, so please let us know. If you are already part of our church, if you are part of our West Chicago location or Tri-Village campus, I want to welcome you. You have no idea how much we miss you. We are already tasting and embracing that time in which we're going to be able to come together again and worship together and love one another and enjoy the presence of one another. Now, you might know that for the last two months, we have been doing a series based on the book of Proverbs. Uh, we have called this series uh, Wisdom for Life. Um, and what we're doing is walking through different sections of the book of Proverbs, learning what wisdom looks like and also learning what wisdom does. So I want to give you a quick definition of what wisdom is. Uh, wisdom is this, I call it a spiritual gift because it is something that the Lord gives us to learn how to make decisions in every area of our lives. See, I, I think that there's a distinction and there's a difference between knowing the Bible and applying wisdom. See, knowing the Bible is that you know what the Bible says and the rules that the Bible gives us, but wisdom is learning how to apply those biblical principles and convictions in every area of our lives. Now, some people might say, well, that's not the way it is. I, I think that knowing the Bible is, in a, is the same as having wisdom, but I want to argue that that's not the case. Um, I think the best example I have is Solomon, King Solomon in the Old Testament. Now, this was a king, the son of David, um, that had the position, that had the title, that had the word of God, that had everything that he needed to be a good king. And yet, he goes to the Lord and asks for one thing. He didn't ask for power. He didn't ask for money. He didn't ask for recognition. He didn't ask for anything but one thing, wisdom. Because there is a difference between knowing the Bible and exercising wisdom. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I can recognize that there are so many different areas in my life in which I need wisdom. But there is one area in which I think, at least in my personal life, that wisdom is absolutely necessary. And is in the area of parenting. That's why today we're going to talk about parenting based on what the book of Proverbs says about this topic. Now, I want to start today by making a confession. And if you're a parent, um, maybe this is true for you, uh, but, but, but I got to be completely honest just, just because we're going to talk about this topic. I happen to have two girls that I love with all my heart, um, and yet um, I, I, I feel that I need to start like this. So there was a season in my life in which I, I believed, listen up, in which I believed that I truly deserved uh, to be nominated as the father of the year. 
uh, there was a season in my life in which I believed that I, that I should have been in people's magazines as one of the most, one, the, the, the one of the 100 most effective and uh, amazing parents of the United States. There was a season in my life in which I wanted to be the Mr. Universe, but the, the father's version. Now, I know that some of you might, might be saying, well, Hannibal, you know, that's foolish. Uh, but, but, but let me make my argument, because I think that my argument, before you judge me, uh, would explain why is it that I believe that. Number one, in my past life, I was an educator. Meaning that I went to school to learn about child development, child psychology, techniques, forms, and everything I needed to learn how to deal and work with kids. Later on, when I became a teacher, I, I taught in, a, in an elementary, uh, elementary school for six years, and I taught different subjects, and I taught different ages of, of kids. So I thought that I had the experience, the experience I needed. Later on, I became a pastor a youth pastor, and I also equipped myself with everything that I needed. So I went to school uh, to get my theological education. I read all the books that I needed to read. I learned all the methods and techniques from a biblical perspective. I, I did everything that I was supposed to do. Actually, if you go to my office, there's a section in one of my bookshelves that has about 40 books on parenting. So that's what I'm saying that you know, I thought that I was a great parent. I thought that I was a great father. But then one day, I became a father. One day, I realized that everything I had was so easy for one reason and one reason alone. None of those kids were my kids. See, it was so easy for me to work with somebody else's kids at the school. It was so easy for me to work with other people's kids because at the end of the day, I would go home. Oh, but it was only when the Lord was working in me, and he actually gave me two beautiful girls. And it was only a matter of days in which I realized that these two amazing girls, were, they were bringing joy into my life. They were fulfilling to a certain degree, uh, fulfilling me as a father, if, 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 if you will. But I, but, I, but I realized really quick that parenting, just as marriage, is extremely complicated. That as good as parenting is, and as beautiful as my girls are, parenting is difficult. Therefore, it requires wisdom. Now, if you are a parent, or you're planning to become a parent, I think that you got to pay attention to what the Bible has to say about this topic, because you're going to need it. If you're already a parent and your kids are already big, it doesn't matter. You still got to pay attention to what the Bible says because you're still a parent. And if, if you're not a parent, if you're just a child like me or anybody else, you still got to pay attention to this because the Bible is not only going to talk about parents, but every single one of us as children need to understand what is the primary responsibility of a parent and why is it that the Bible calls us to honor our parents, regardless of how old uh, we may be? All right, so today we're going to talk about four things. We're going to talk about uh, the call, the goal, the way, and the context of parenting. The call, the goal, the way, and the context of parenting. So let's go with the first topic, uh, first theme here, the call. 
Now, I believe that there are three different approaches to parenting. Um, and I want to divide them this way. I think that there's a traditional way, for the lack of a better word. There is a, a, a modern way, which is the one that is most, the most popular right now. But then there's the biblical way. And what I want you to do as I, as I go through this one is actually see which one of these three, um, especially the first two, your are, right? So the traditional way is like this. Uh, in the traditional way of parenting... Um, the main call of the parent is to learn how to break your children's will. Now, I'm, I'm, this is what I've heard growing up in church a, a little bit, right? The primary responsibility of the parent is to learn how to break the children's will, to teach them how to submit to authority, to teach them how to obey. Now, the question is, is this wrong? And I would say, no, not of course. There's nothing wrong there. Um, not necessarily there's anything wrong there. Um, the problem, though, is that the parenting is much more than that. I actually think that there, it, it, there's an issue if the parent doesn't teach the kid how to submit to authority. Because if he does not submit to authority, he is not going to learn how to submit to God and submit to other people. The problem, though is that it is possible for a children, for our children, to become obedient and yet in their hearts be rebellious. The problem, though, is that even though um, we, we might want to do things right, that doesn't mean that the heart of our children are changing. The problem could be that this could develop uh, uh, some sort of parenting that is very controlling. The problem with this, though, is that uh, a parent can become abusive. The problem with this can be that maybe the motives are wrong. And this is what I mean by this. There's a, there's a way to parent in which I want my kids to obey my will, not necessarily God's will. There is a way for you to be a parent in which you want to control every sphere of your kid's life, but not because it's the best for them or for the glory of God, but, we, but simply because that's what I want. That's kind of the traditional view of parenting. And once again, nothing wrong with some of the approach, but on the other hand, it's, it could be dangerous. Now, the second uh, approach to parenting is what I call the modern approach. The most popular one in which they say that the primary responsibility of the father is to, uh, and the mother is to support their children and their journey to self-discovery. Meaning... That the primary responsibility of the parents is to affirm their children so they find who they want to be or who they feel they need to be. The problem with this approach is that there is no rules, no restrictions, no standards, no expectations. It is wanting to empower kids with something that they have not developed. They don't have the time, the, the experience, they don't have the knowledge, they don't have the wisdom to be able to accomplish what you're asking them to do. I actually think that this is extremely irresponsible. It's extremely irresponsible when you let a kid decide who she or he wants to be. But that is the modern thinking. Part of the problem here is that we have put kids as the center of the universe. They are the ones that determine what is right and wrong. The problem with that is that that leads to egocentrism, selfishness, and independence. See, I, 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 don't, I don't think that the traditional view helps us. And I don't think that the modern approach helps us either. 
Actually, I was thinking about this this week when I was uh, prepping this sermon. You know, for the first uh, 10 years of my girls' lives, we watched a lot of Disney. Them and us together with them, parents. Um, and I realized that Disney has one specific message. So listen up. Is that the kids are really smart. Always in Disney, the Disney shows, the kids are really smart and the parents not as, not as smart. That the ones that know how life's supposed to work is parents, but is kids, but not parents. Actually, I was remembering there was a show in which there's a talking dog, and even the dog is smarter than the father that is a child psychologist. In every single one of these shows, kids rule, parents follow. Now, tell me if that's not an issue. Now, this is not just a Christian talking about this. This is the same thing that even secular people think about. There's a book called The Collapse of Parenting by a, it's a secular thinker, child psychologist, and look at what he says. Over the last three decades, there has been a massive transfer of authority from parents to kids. Along with that transfer of authority has come a change in the valuation of kids' opinions and preferences. In many families, what kids think and what kids like and what kids want now matter, matter as much or more than what their parents think, like, and want. Actually, he argues that what has happened in the last 30 years, in specific here in the United States, is that there's a, what he calls a role confusion. We don't know who's the parent and who's the child. We don't know who has the ultimate authority at home, if it's the parent or the child. And in addition to that, that has led our children to value the opinion of their peers much more than the opinion of the parents. And the consequences are catastrophic. So this is the idea. Culture rules, not home. Public opinion matters, not parents. This has created a culture of disrespect. Kids do not know how to handle suffering. And there has been all kinds of psychological, emotional, and spiritual consequences because of that. But there's a third approach, which is an approach that is not a based on controlling our children, nor, nor either affirming our children by itself. It's actually the biblical approach, which I think that's what the book of Proverbs talks about. So with that in mind, let me put it this way. The primary role of the parent, the primary role of the parent is to discipline. And we get this in uh, Proverbs chapter 19, verse 18. Discipline your children, for in that there is hope. Do not be as uh, a willing party to their death. This is what he's saying. We have two options as parents. Either we discipline or we contribute to their destruction. Either we discipline or we are contributing to their destruction. Now, I know that the word discipline is, is kind of a negative word in our context, in, in our world. Right? Because we usually think of discipline as something negative, as something that is offensive, as something that is aggressive. But I want to invite you to consider that when you look at the word discipline in the book of Proverbs, you always see a more comprehensive definition of what that is. Actually, when you look at the book of Proverbs, you will see that the word discipline is used in different ways. It's used to describe instruction and teaching. It's used to describe training. 
and is used to describe correcting. Discipline is instructing and teaching, imparting knowledge. Training, which is more like coaching and preparing. And correcting, which is more like fixing what is wrong. Notice that in the book of Proverbs, a discipline is not a technique. It's not a set of rules that you got to follow to fix your kids. Notice that in the book of Proverbs, because he's instructing and teaching and training and correcting, parenting requires quality and quantity of time. It requires conversations. It requires intentionality. It requires involvement. It requires confrontation. It requires edification. It requires patience. Uh, patience. The tendency in our culture is to see the word discipline as something that is restrictive, as something that is not good. But according to the book of Proverbs, discipline is always a good thing. It's not what we do what is wrong. It's how we do that sometimes is wrong. So if you're a parent, if you're planning to become a parent, your primary role is to di discipline your kids. Your primary role is to discipline your kids. The question is why? Well, I think that the text makes it super clear. Proverbs chapter 2, uh, 22, verse 15. The reason why you are called to discipline your kids is because of the condition of their heart. Folly is bound up in the heart of the child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far away. Super simple. The reason why, as parents, we are called to discipline our kids is because by nature, because of their fallen nature, they have foolish tendencies and foolish desires just like everyone else. Listen, I don't know about you, but when I saw my girls for the first time, for a fragment of time, they were so beautiful, so perfect, so amazing, that for a fragment of time, I forgot that they were sinners. Just like me, just like you. Actually, I heard about this, this, um, this parent that is presenting the baby at church, the way we do here. Uh, and we presented the baby before our congregation, that before the Lord, and we usually as a church, we pray for our babies, right? Um, but what he did is he lifted up the baby and says... Welcome to this world, this, welcome to this world, beautiful sinner. <laughs> In the popular culture, people will hear that and that they will find that offensive. But not Christians, not a believer, because we know that that is true. Our kids are not innocent by nature. Our kids have sinful tendencies. Yes, they're beautiful and yes, they're amazing, but nonetheless, they're still sinners. Therefore, discipline is not an option. We, this is our primary call. So, so the reason why we ought to discipline is because this is the reality of their hearts. And the second reason why we are called to discipline is because discipline, according to the book of Proverbs, is an act of love. Look at Proverbs 13. Whoever spares the rod hates their children, but the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. Now, pay attention here, parents. Notice the word careful. We don't get to discipline however we want. We get to discipline in a careful way the Lord calls us to discipline. So, of course, the question has to be, what does that mean? This leads us to our second point, the goal of parenting. Now, 
if the primary responsibility of the parent is to decide to discipline, then, then, then it's important that you keep in mind that your primary responsibility is not to be a friend of your children. As good as that is, I, I think that I'm a friend of my children, but that is not my primary responsibility. My primary responsibility is not to make sure that they have a successful life. That's part of what I do, and that's what I want to do, but that is not my primary responsibility. My primary responsibility is not that they live the best life now. As, do, as good as that is, and that, I want that for my children, that is not my primary responsibility. My primary responsibility as a father is that they know the difference between right and wrong and good and evil. Let me say that again in this camera. The primary responsibility of a parent is that we know the difference between, that they know the difference between right and wrong and good and evil. Everything else is secondary. Friendship is secondary. Success is secondary. Anything that you want to give them is secondary according to the book of Proverbs. The primary responsibility of a parent is that they know the difference between good and bad, right and wrong. When they do that, then they have wisdom. Now, I think that's extremely important because there are three main reasons I found in the book of Proverbs why is it that we have to be so intentional about that. Let me tell you why. Because it's the best for them, it's the best for others, and it's the best for you as a parent if you're a parent. The three reasons why we might teach this to our kids and discipline our kids is because it's the best for them, the best for others, and the best for you as a parent. Look at what it says when it comes to uh, doing this for the child's um, sake. This is uh, chapter 22, verse 6. Start children off on the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. This is, this is the key text. There's a difference between what is right and wrong. The way your kids will live their lives after they leave your house is if they understand what is right and wrong. Bruce Waltke, which is the scholar that we have been reading in preparation for all these sermons, this is what he says. Loving parents seek to correct faults because their children's lives favor protection, healing, dignity, and prosperity are at stake. Unloving parents turn their backs on them and hand them over to death, social ruin, public exposure, calamity, and shameful poverty. See, discipline is not about me. Discipline is not about me fulfilling my desires. It's not just about my kids submitting to me and what I want. Discipline. Biblical discipline is about them learning the difference between what is right and wrong. My motive could be completely wrong. At the end of the day, what I'm pursuing is not just uh, obedience. I'm not just pursuing the modification of behavior. What I'm pursuing is their hearts. Because it's what is best for them. It's not about me. It's not about my life. It's not about my recognition. It's about them, their hearts, their life. Not only discipline is needed for their sake, but it's also needed for the sakes of others. Look with me, uh, verse 17, chapter 17, verse 12. Better to meet a bear wrapped on her cups 
than a fool bent on folly. <laughs> this is such an amazing illustration. It's a metaphor, of course. But this is the idea. When you take the baby of an animal away from that animal, you better start running. Because that animal is going to go after you to destroy you. Now picture that. And what the book of Proverbs says is that it's better to encounter that animal than to encounter a child that is foolish in his heart or her heart. It is more secure to encounter this aggressive animal than to encounter a kid that does not know how to deal with the sinful uh, tendencies in his heart. Does it not give you the picture? This is the idea here. Sin has social consequences. That if our kids don't learn how to deal with the things inside, if they don't know how the difference between right and wrong, what is, uh, uh, what is right and wrong, not only they will suffer, but everybody else will suffer. Once again, that's why I think that it's so irresponsible when modern people say, well, just let them be. Let them figure it out. They will learn by experience. But we know that that is not true. A kid that is struggling with addictions, everyone is affected by that. Not only he's affected by that, but everybody else is affected by that. A girl that is, de is dealing with egocentrism and selfishness, she's not the only one affected by that. Everyone is affected by that. Whatever we do in secret, not only it affects us, but it affects everybody else. This is what an author says. says, parents who do, not bring careful, who do not bring carefully controlled and pleasant consequences uh, into their children's lives, they will go out into the world and bring far more painful, harmful results unto themselves and unto others. Inflicting minor sadness now. Avoids great despair later. The reason why we discipline, not only is because the best thing for them, but it's because the best thing for others. Because every sin we have, and our kids have, has social implications. And number three, the reason why you should um, exercise discipline is because it's the best thing for you as a parent. Look at what chapter 17, verse 21 says. To have a fool for a child brings grief. There is no joy for the parent of a godless fool. Look at the next verse, uh, chapter 29, verse 17. Discipline your children, and they will give you peace. They will bring you the delight you desire. I don't know about you, but this is a reality for me and my wife, or my wife and I. We are as happy, we are more happy when our kids are happy. We suffer when our kids suffer. We hurt when our kids are hurt. The best thing that you could do for your child, for the sake of others, and for your sake, is to discipline your kids. Because your happiness, whether you like it or not, if you're a if you're a normal parent, is bound to the happiness of your kid. I think that the Bible is extremely practical about this. Now, I, I want to I wanna give you a quick word for um, the children that are listening to this sermon because I think it's important. Your primary responsibility as a child is to honor your parents. 
Now, I think that honoring your parents, because we're talking about discipline, I think that honoring, honoring your parents look different uh, depending on how old you are. So, for example, if you are really young, I would say anything between 0 and 15. Your primary responsibility as a child when you want to honor your parents is to obey. That's just what it is. Follow their authority. Submit to their authority. If you are somewhere between 15 to 18, honoring your parents means obeying, as long as you're living with them, and honoring or respecting them. So you don't just want to obey, but you want to respect. But if you're an adult, like in my case, or anybody else that is listening, honoring means you find a way to recognize that the Lord gave you these parents, and you find a way to always listen to them and care for them and be present with them. So it'll be illogic that the Lord is calling me as an adult to obey my mom. I mean, I'm 45. I mean, she wants to rule my life still, but my role is to respect her, listen to her, care for her, be present with her, because that, in that way, I'm honoring her. So the question here is, this is the practical part, and this one is going to go fast. How do we discipline? So this is point number three, the way of parenting. The Bible, the book of Proverbs, once again, it, it seems like if everything goes by threes, I think the Bible here shows you that there's three different ways for us to uh, discipline our kids. I believe that the first one, the primary one, the one that you see the most in the book of Proverbs, is what I call verbal discipline. So if you remember, I told you that the word discipline can be translated as instruction and teaching, training and correcting. And the primary way to do that is through words. And I have an example here, chapter 4, verse 1. Look at how it starts. Listen, to my, listen my sons, to uh, a father's instruction. Pay attention to gain understanding. It's super interesting that the word listening in the book of Proverbs appears more than 20 times. Other forms of discipline appear much less. The idea is this, that the primary way in which we discipline our kids is finding the way to talk. So this week I was reading another book. This is another, uh, I, I mean, I've been interested in, in hearing what secular people have to say about these topics. And there's another great book called The Price of Privilege. I, I'm not recommending the book because there's so many things there that I don't agree with. But, but I found it super interesting that they talk about the things that the Bible talks about. And this is what this uh, psychology says. Parents are more concerned about talking to their kids about a, or taking their kids to a soccer game than to taking their kids to the dining table. Don't you find that interesting? Perhaps the, most, the single most important ritual in a family can be observed in having dinner together. Families who eat together five or more times a week have kids who are significantly less likely to use tobacco, alcohol, or drugs, have higher uh, grade point average, less depressive, and have less depressive symptoms. Eating together reinforces the idea that family members are interested, available, and concerned about each other. The best thing that you could do to discipline your kids is to talk to them. Time matters. Quality of time matters. 
Quantity of time matters. Intentionality matters. Talk to your kids. The primary way for you to discipline your kids is using verbal discipline more than anything else. Now, just in case you're wondering, the Bible also talks about what we call cultural dis- uh, corporal discipline or corporal punishment, if you will. You see that, in, for example, in chapter 29, verse 15. It says, a rod and a reprimand impart wisdom. Pay attention to the second word. But a child left and disciplined disgraces its mother. Now, I, I think this is important that you hear. The word rod there means physical punishment. But that word, compared to the verbal discipline, only appears seven times in the book of Proverbs. Only seven times. And what I find super interesting when we talk about this is that during this, during every time that I found the text in uh, that word in the text, it always talks about little children. So it is important that we have some principles, even if we think about corporal punishment. Number one, corporal punishment is the exception, not the norm. Number two, corporal punishment must fit the crime. Number three, Corporal punishment must fit the personality of the children. So there are kids, for example, that words are enough, a look are enough. Like my mom, that's what she would do. And corporal punishment has a due date. The older your kids are, the less this should be applied. Because now you're messing around with their dignity. Now notice that he says there's a combination here of the rod and a reprimand, which is verbal discipline. Meaning this, that if you correct your kid physically, but there, are, there is no talking, explaining, reasoning, praying, you didn't do anything at all. Because words have the ability to do uh, what physical things cannot do. Words speak to the heart. And the last one, the last way in which we can discipline our kids is by example. Look at what chapter 20, verse 7 says. The righteous lead blameless lives. Blessed are their children after them. Your kids are the product not just of the things you say to them. Your kids are the product of what they see in you. I got to tell you that um, I'm 45. My mom just turned 70, and I could say that because she's not ashamed of that. And I could tell you that what I've learned the most about my mom is not necessarily what she has told me or the ways that she corrected me, even physically. What I have the most from her is her life. She's got influence over me, not simply because of the things she says, be because of her life. Don't you want that as a parent? So I have one quick question to finish this. What is the context of parenting? Point number four. And if you remember, we read this verse already, but it's chapter, chapter 13, verse 24, and it says that the context of discipline is love. So the motivation to discipline is love, and the power to discipline is love. We do it because we love them, and the way to do it right is because we do it out of love. The problem is this. 
that you love your kids so and so much that your kids can become an idol. I think that that's part of the problem, is that our kids, we love them so and so much that they can become an idol. So many times what we do as parents is trying to live our life through them. So when we discipline, it's not necessarily because it's the best thing for them, but because we want for them the life that we never had. And the problem with that is that unintentionally, you're thinking more of yourself than when you're thinking of your kids. That's part of the reason why there's so many controlling parents. And the problem with that is that the more you do that, you start to suffocate your kid. The problem when you have your kids as, as idols is that you try to find through them satisfaction, security, and significance. And the more you think that through them you're going to find that, the more you will demand from them, the less you're going to think of them, the more you're going to think of you. So what is the answer? If you really want to parent your kids, kids through love or with love, what, what is the answer? Well, this is where Jesus comes in. The only way we can truly love our kids the way we're supposed to is when we know and we are secure and we are completely sure that what we want, what we need, we already have in Jesus Christ. Because his life, death, and resurrection, he's our satisfaction, he's our security, and he's our significance. We are in him. It is only when you have that. It is only when you embrace that. That the focus of your attention, with the, the focus of your kid's attention is not you but him. It's when you point them to him. It's when you discipline, discipline them because of him. It's because he's worthy and because the best thing that, this is the thing. The thing that is going to make you the happy the most is not that they obey your rules. It's that they adore him and worship him. May God grant us the grace for us to be the parents that we're supposed to be. That we teach him the difference between right and wrong. That we teach him how to give glory to God. And that we ourselves learn how to love him well. Let us pray. Lord, we are thankful that we have the chance and the opportunity to dig into your Bible. Lord, we, we thank you that we don't have to guess what is it that the Bible says about a specific topic like parenting, but we have it there, Lord. My prayer, Lord, for all of us that are parents here this morning listening to this message, Lord, is that you grant us the grace to, to keep the primary thing the primary thing. That we teach the kid, our kids the difference between right and wrong, what is moral and what is immoral, and that we point them to you. Because at the end of the day, that will be the thing that is best for them, best for others, and even the best thing for ourselves. Please show them Jesus and bring them to Jesus. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Well, as it is the first Sunday of the month, we typically celebrate communion on this Sunday. And as we're not together, we won't be doing that today. But we have invited Isaiah and Shirley Shepard to sing a special song that will help us take some time to commemorate and meditate on Christ's sacrifice for us.
Before we finish our service, I, I want to I wanna invite you to do something. As a church, every week we gather to pray for you. The staff gathers to pray for you. So I want to invite you to text your prayers to 630-260-1600. Um, I guarantee you that someone is going to be praying for your needs. We believe in the power of prayer, and we believe that prayer changes things. So please let us know how is it that we can pray for you. With that... I want to um, pray over you the blessing that we find in the book of Numbers chapter 6. And he says this. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. 
May the Lord turn his face to you and give you peace. Thanks for being with us. We love you. Church, you are sent. Please stick around so you can hear some of our announcements. God bless you. for worshiping with us today. I'm Michael and I serve with our creative team. As Pastor Rob shared recently, we're excited to start gradually meeting on campus again. Registration is now open for our July 12th and 19th service. If you're worshiping with us on campus, you must reserve a seat as our capacity is limited to help with social distancing. We hope to see you there and we want you to know that our online services will continue to be available to watch at home or with your life group. Every year, our church organizes and participates in CareFest. CareFest builds love and compassion in our community through the lending of time and skills to help repair and care for projects in need. Now is the time to plan and join a project. This year on August 8th, you can serve your neighbors and community. If you know a neighbor, friend, family, or organization that we can encourage and serve through a CareFest project, submit your ideas and the CareFest team will help you make it happen. Registration for projects open soon, but your project ideas are needed now. We can't wait. That's all for today. Thanks for spending part of your weekend with us. We hope you have an amazing week.